What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 10.5 of Behind the Daw, where we usually interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, people of that nature on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level. But this is a 0.5 episode, which means we take the audio from our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite music producers to dissect their songs in real time, and we put it in a podcast form so that you can partake of it on the go and get that perfect combination of emotional and technical knowledge between Behind the Daw and In the Daw. Three things really quick before we get started. There is three links down in the description. Number one is for the Patreon. If you are interested in supporting Behind the Daw to help us keep bringing these interviews to you, that'd be amazing. It's $1 a month. You get access to a private community and there's other options if you want to keep climbing the ladder. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of things all the way up to you coming on the show and helping me interviewing the music producers and the music industry experts or whoever we have on. You know, there is an option for that. So please go ahead and check that out. It just helps us keep going. The number two link is for suggestions. Suggestions. If you want to suggest someone to come on the show, go ahead, click on that link. And then the third link down in the description is for private lessons. If you are looking to get private lessons in electronic music production or in social media marketing, this is the place. Go ahead and click on that link. It'll put you over. Find a time that's best for you. Find a time that's best for me. We'll get you going. So with all that out of the way, who do we have on the show today? You guessed it. AU5, breaking down his song, Arise. If you haven't checked out the episode 10 of of Behind the Daw, where we interviewed AU5 on the more of the emotional level, I'd highly encourage you to do that. It kind of sets the stage for this episode. But what are some of the things that we're going to be talking about in this episode? So let me first say, there is a plethora of things that we're going to be talking about in this episode. More than I can say right now. So please stick through the episode. There's plenty of information, more than I can even do. There's just so much. So here's some of the things that we're going to be talking about to get you excited. So the first thing is multi-band sound design. What? What does that mean? That's right. We split up a sound into different frequencies and then we individually process each frequency to create and evoke certain sounds. Stay tuned for that. Second thing that we're going to be talking about is fractalizing your arrangement. Now, what the heck does that mean? What the heck is a fractal? If you don't know what a fractal is, think basically think about a triangle and then four triangles within that triangle and then four triangles within those four triangles of the triangle and so on and so forth. And it just keeps, keeps going in and in and more and more triangles. You do that with your arrangement. You create a bar and then the bar is a variation of the first bar. Then you, then you take those two bars, you copy it over. Those four bars are a variation of the original two bars and one bar and then so on and so forth. And you create basically a song fractal, right? It's, it's really interesting. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, stay tuned. It will make sense. And then number three, separating the sound design portion and the melodic portion of your song, never intermingling them. I don't, I don't want to say never, but it's kind of like you're thinking about it methodically, right? You tackle this, then you tackle this. If you need to go back to this, then you go back to this, so on and so forth. So we're going to talk about his workflow. It's kind of what the overall concept is, is his workflow and how he is able to get things done so fast. You can finish an entire song in a day. It's ridiculous. So if you get through this entire episode and you're like, man, this episode is amazing. It is really helping me out. Go ahead, like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you are listening on, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, Deezer, wherever you're listening. It just helps us know that what we're doing is legitimate. We are on the correct path of what you need. So please go ahead and do those things. And with all that being said, without further ado, I want to introduce you to AU5. those who don't know two days ago was austin's birthday and we were going to sing to you but then we realized that we're horrible at singing it's totally fine i, I totally appreciate the thought though absolutely how was your birthday by the way it was fun it was super chill going out to dinner with my parents and uh working on a sample pack awesome when's the when's the sample pack gonna come out not really sure yet it's gonna be through uh, gravitas create it's gonna be um well it's a little bit more than just a sample pack it's um gonna be a free fall ep producer pack so you're gonna get a bunch. Of, you're gonna get pretty much all the samples and like vocals uh, and stuff from all the songs. But you're also gonna get some instrument racks and uh, and patches for serum and whatnot. Yeah, it's the first time I'm releasing something that is more than just wave files. So, what were some of the the techniques that you used in this song as far as sound design? 
Mostly, the, I'd say the sound design focus, particularly in this song, is really just the basses. Everything else, like the synths, you know, you, got, you have piano, sampler, um, and then you have like some super saws, which is just, you know, serum with uh, unison, some stacked octaves. For the basses, it's the majority of the song, as you can see. It's, uh, it's really all serum. The thing about this song is I kind of went in with the intention of it to just be like a fun banger. I, I literally banged it out within a day. I didn't really have time to overthink anything or get like really intricate. I guess because of that process, it turned out to be one powerful, cohesive thing, which I'm pretty sto stoked about. Let's check out that, that main growl you got right there. Here's the downbeat of the drop. Really all this was, if you go into Serum, these are two wavetables that I made myself. Uh, really basic things with Operator, they're uh, FM bases. So I would import wavetables from Operator, and then it's really just a matter of assigning a bunch of different parameters, like the wavetable position, some warp filtering. Here, let me uh, let me turn off all of the filtering and, and modulations. Yeah. Pass all destinations, let's see what this actually sounds like. Wow. So that's the wavetable. It's, it's just a simple FM, I don't even know what you'd really call it, like blaster sound from, uh, from Operator. It literally takes like 30 seconds or less to make. What you want to do when you're creating a wavetable to import into Serum, you want to use a very low note. I like to use C0 because it's like the lowest note that is that you can kind of hear tonally. And the reason you want to start out with a, a, a very low octave is because if you start with a high octave and import into Serum, if you play notes that are lower than that, you're going to lose fidelity in the, in the high end because it's, uh, it's downsampling. All right, we have an operator here. All right, so we're at C0. And what I'm gonna start doing is start tweaking the levels and the, the course tuning of the higher operators. And I'll start to create automations to create like an evolving effect so it actually is more than just a static sound, so it's actually wavetable. Something like that. And then maybe I'll add some uh, higher harmonics. A lot of it's just trial and error. And, and the cool thing about Operator is it's built in, it's uh, it's very lightweight. You're, it's never going to like lock up your CPU or, or crash your computer. You can just loop the whole thing. And then basically, I like to think of it as like chiseling. It's like it's like sculpting. You get real time feedback when you loop something over and over. And then you kind of get you can kind of get a sense of like where you want to go with the sound, what's doing what and whatnot. So. Cool. That's, sim that's simple enough. So what I'll do is uh, I'll freeze and flatten it and just convert it to audio. When you're making something like this, is it usually you keep it pretty, pretty short? I mean, here it's, it's what, a, a quarter note, two quarter notes? Yeah, this is just a half note length. Because there's not like a lot of morphing and movement going on, it's pretty much just a linear evolution of the sound. It doesn't really matter. Plus, when you import it into Serum and convert it into a wavetable, you can use one of the morph modes to uh, make it smooth and prevent it from being steppy. I mean, I, in, in my opinion, I think this is definitely enough. You don't have to get overly complex before you import a wavetable because Serum is so powerful that you can just, you can make it more complex within Serum. Really just what you want is some kind of, I guess like carrier wave or like some kind of source wave that you can really, that has, that's harmonically rich, it's not too noisy, like a good foundation to affects even more after resampling. And is that always a harmonic FM ratios or do you sometimes use the inharmonic ones? When I'm importing into, into Serum, I particularly don't like to use the fine tuning or like use fixed tuning. And the reason why is because it makes it more inharmonic, makes the wave more inharmonic. And uh, when you import it into Serum, it doesn't really, when you have inharmonic in the overtones, it doesn't really slice the waves properly into a wavetable. I never really got much success doing that. So now that we have a, uh, now that we have the sound here, let's open up Serum. I love how the original name of the song was Skrillex, you think? <laughs> yep. All right, so now that we're in Serum, uh, we want to open up the wavetable editor. And uh, the crucial part is what a lot of people do is when, you when they try to import a wave into Serum, they will drag the audio into this little box right here, and then they have to choose what kind of resynthesis method they want to use. Because we're using a static key, the key of this sound is not changing, all we need to do is go into the wavetable editor and go down to the formula parser and then type in the note number. What that's going to do is it's going to create a fixed window size for importing the, the wave. Make sure your audio is in 44.1 kilohertz because otherwise it won't import properly. If it's in 48, it will 
the, the window size is based off of the samples, uh, not actually the, the note number. This is blowing my mind. We typed in C0, we can import a sound that, that is played at C0, and it will slice the, yeah, it will slice the wave into a wavetable that is perfectly in tune. So now that we have this, let me play it and see what, how it sounds. Sounds pretty good. Um, and so this only has 32, this has only 32 frames in this wave table. So in order to make it smoother, we're going to go to the morph table and then morph either crossfade or spectral to preserve uh, the original phases of the wave. Now I have something really smooth and harmonically rich that we can, uh, that we can work with. I guess I can go back into the main growl that we had and continue the demonstration from there. So if I enable these uh, modulations again from LFO 1. So what I like to do is I'll, I'll take an LFO and I will set it to uh, the trigger mode so it's basically an envelope that has many as many breakpoints as I want instead of it being off. Because if it's off, it will sync up to the... Um, it will, it will free run essentially and, and uh, sync up to the host tempo. Every time you play a note, it's not going to... It's just going to free run. It's not going to re-trigger every time I, I play the note. So if I set it to trigger, it's going to restart every time. I hit. So what I'll, what I'll do is I'll create just a simple like a down ramp with some uh, with some edges to give it more and more organic motion. And then from there, I'll just start assigning parameters to the the LFO uh, modulation. And as you can see, I have 12 things routed to it. I like to assign everything to one modulation source so everything moves at the same time. And in my opinion, it's just easier to keep track of. And it's uh, when you want to change the sound, like the movement of the sound, you can just change that one LFO or that one modulation and the whole thing just morphs and changes in sync. Pop quiz, do you know how many uh, how many things you can map to one LFO? Is there a limit? There is a limit. I'm, I'm actually, really? They might have uh, changed it in the recent update, but I think it was like 25 or 35 because i was like literally mapping it to every single parameter to see what would happen it, it maxed out wow that's cool i didn't i, I never got there yet after yeah. i do that what i would like to, what i like to do is um yeah i'll create the lfo shape i'll assign it to the wavetable position that's really all we have right now and then i'll turn a filter on in this case i like to assign it to either a bandpass or a high pass filter i knew that i wanted it to be a growl with the growl you have it needs to sound vocally, so it needs to have some type of formant quality to it. In order to do that, you need some kind of filter movement in, in the mid-range, something that is, is resonant. I don't really know how to describe it any better than that. If you use a band pass or a, a high pass with high resonance, um, you, can, you will get the effect of like a, a vowel-y sound. So in this case, I mapped this to the resonance and the cutoff and a little bit of the mix so I can get the highs back in. And uh, this is what it sounds like with just the band pass. If I reduce the mix, more of the, you can get more of the highs back in. Yeah, so that's what I had now, so I kind of have that, that wow sound. And then uh, it was time to go into the effects section and start just throwing all the effects on. So Dimension Expander, I like to use just because it widens everything up. I like to use it before everything else because you can then distort it and then it affects, uh, it, it's not just an out of phase delay anymore. It actually, the, the out of phase delays will be saturated with the mid signal and it will uh, just create a more thicker, wider, fuller sound that doesn't just sound like an out of phase delay. So it's really subtle. Through this call, you can't actually hear the, the stereo effect, but you can hear a little bit of saturation that is not just mono. It's a really good starting point for something that is also mono compatible, as well as something that is wide and sounds full without it sounding like hollow, like just having Dimension Expander at the end would do. Did you use your, your chorus static trick that you did a tutorial on the other day? I believe I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> Turning it on. Which, by the way, for those people who don't know what this is, I'm, I'm sure you'll go into it a little bit, but he has, uh, Austin here, he has a fantastic, just unbelievable tutorial that he did that he put on his channel on YouTube, so go check it out. But with that being said, keep going. Thank you. So then what I did was uh, put the chorus on. Uh, what I like to do with chorus is just the default chorus effect. I'm not really a fan of because it's, it's pretty random. It sounds like watery. It makes a sound, a coherent sound sound more incoherent which is great for like uh if that's what you're going for like pads and, and dreamy leads and stuff but i like to use chorus particularly serums chorus in a, in a different way i like to use it as just a 
static comb filter effect. What you want to do is turn the mix all the way up and turn the filter all the way up so it's virtually not filtering anything. Uh, and then turn your depth down. That's the key. If you turn your depth down, there's it's not going to... Uh, these two delays, which is what mixes with the dry signal, that change and fluctuate free running, that's what gives it the chorus effect. If you turn the depth down, the delays will not free run. They will just be static. And what this allows you to do is, since you have two delays, they're basically identical signals that you have independent control over their delays of each other. What I did was I had one delay fixed and then I had one delay modulated to this LFO so it has the same movement. And then what happens is as one delay is modulating layered on top of the static delay, you will get a comb filtering effect. And because of being modulated with everything else, because it's just assigned to LFO1, it is going to move. It is going to have the same movement as everything else is. It's effectively a flanger that you have full control over its movement. If I change the delay time for one, you can hear that it will change the frequency of the comb filtering. I like to have it kind of a very tight sound, so it's very high, very high frequency. It's basically like almost perfectly in phase and then slightly goes out of phase from the original signal, and I think it's a really cool effect. It reminds me of like early Kill the Noise type yeah. uh, sound design. It's just super cool. I can hear from what you're, from what you just showed us, there's like, that's one of the, at least in my opinion, one of the main elements of the, the AU5 like trademark sound, that very like, I don't even, I'm not even gonna try to make it with my mouth. This is one of the huge keys to like really get inside your sound design head is what I'm understanding, right? Yeah, well, yeah, for, for bass design, I mean, I just, I love the effect of comb filter. People think that it's, uh, that I use it too excessively, but I think there's something special about the comb filter, and it's also something that everyone can relate to, whether consciously or subconsciously, because I remember the first time hearing the comb filtering effect was when I was probably like two or three, like the earliest that I can remember, and everyone can experience this. You know, you go outside, and there's a jet plane going overhead, and you hear this this phasing effect. And I'm like, that is such an interesting sound. And what is happening is you're hearing a very um, coherent signal. Like it's only, the sound is being emitted from just one point. So what you're getting is basically just like a straight line of sound, kind of like the sun. I mean, it's just the point you're getting a straight line of sun rather than... Rather than the sun reflecting off the wall and then hitting you kind of a thing. Exactly, exactly. Rather than like, you know, having a speaker in a room that's reflecting off of everything, the walls in the room, exactly. Um, and so the reason why you get that effect from the jet plane is because when the, you have the initial signal that is hitting your ears, and then what you're having is the I, the same signal reflecting off the ground and hitting your ears again. If you hear a jet plane go over go overhead, and if you get, put your head close to the ground, you can hear that it will change the pitch of the comb filtering. Anyway, that's the same thing that's going on in this uh, in this chorus effect. It's like you're changing the second delay that is identical to the initial delay. I just thought that was the coolest effect when I was little, and I was like, wow. I don't know. It just has such a, a visceral effect for me, and so I just like to incorporate it in, in sounds and. I think like using a flanger and if you checked out my tutorial, like I go through all the different ways that you can create comb filtering with uh, with serum. Like, flanger and then unison detuning and stuff. All that stuff is really cool, but I think the chorus, because you can just modulate, you can create your modulation shape of the pitch of the comb filtering. It's just more powerful than any anything else. What other effects went onto this in the serum panel? Yeah, I, I turn on the phaser and this is basically the same thing. I am using a, a static phaser. Uh, and then modulating the frequency with, with the same LFO. So here's before, here's after. It's just adding more notches into the spectrum. Filter that's doing a low pass. EQ and compression. I mean, I guess it's pretty similar to how it was sounding before. I just had it, I think I just had it like perfectly tweaked before and now that it's kind of out of. You also did move the wavetable earlier and so that could. Oh, that's right, that's right, yeah. I mean, it's pretty similar to the original sound. Basically what I'm doing after the filtering is just EQing, which is just adding more vowel movement to the sound. Which isn't really something that's audible. And then the uh, multiband compressor, which is just blasting it, which is just bringing up the highs a lot more. So yeah, and then there, there's more stuff that I do after that. I like to use this track that I created, which is, um, it's a three band. I'm creating a three band crossover. I have the highs, mids, and lows uh, isolated from, from one another. This is what it sounds like dry. 
I put a vocoder on the mid-band. What this allows me to do is formant shift only the mid frequencies. If you put a vocoder on the entire sound as just a single band, having the lows, mids, and highs affected, it's going to make the highs sound subdued and it's not, it's not gonna be crisp like they were. The lows, you're gonna have weird resonance out of phasey effects. So I wanted the highs and lows to be preserved and sounding crispy and, and like fat and solid, but I wanted the mids to have uh, formant shifting and, and changes in the sound. I don't, think I, I don't think I actually did much of this in the, uh, in the main growl, but I have a, another growl down here, which is basically a duplicated version of the main growl with some more, more tweaks done. What I, what I usually like to do is I'll take one main sound and then I'll duplicate it and then tweak that and change it into a slightly different sound and then duplicate it and change that, tweak it into a slightly different sound. And that way everything kind of has the same fullness and it sounds like it's from, it's like, it sounds like it's from the same palette. It's not just like random, completely outlandish the contrasting sounds. So just so that I understand so what you're saying is that like, because uh, I've run into this and in not only my own production, but listening to other people's music where like they have all these different sounds in there and it's just like, it's, it's just too random. It's just too chaos. What, what you're saying is that you, you make a sound, you duplicate it, change it, make sound, duplicate it, change it, so on and so forth. So basically it's all coming from the same sound. So it kind of has like a, a common denominator between these sounds and it helps kind of glue everything back together, right? Definitely, yeah. It's a, it's a lot it's a lot easier. It's like they all come from the same family. It's a lot easier to create a bunch of sounds with diversity from a single sound and have it sound good than create a bunch of different sounds completely independently, like built completely in different ways from each other, and then trying to make those sound and work together cohesively. If I change the format of the vocoder, you can actually hear like the cool kind of movement and stuff you can get by doing this uh, band splitting. Here's the sound. Without that, and here's the sound with foam chipping. It just adds like a whole other dimension to it. And so your vocoder, your vocoding settings, so you just have it set to the, the modulator? Yeah. I'm modulating the, uh, just the foreman. Oh, and what I'm doing is I'm creating a bunch of notches in these, um, in these bands. So how vocoder works is basically just like a bunch of bandpass filters, very, very narrow bandpass filters uh, that span the frequency spectrum. And then it's just a filter bank. It allows you to adjust the amplitude of each one of those, uh, each one of those um, bandpass filters. So like I can get very specific and it's basically like a, a graphic EQ. So if I solo it. I can draw my filter shape and then uh, transpose that filter with forming. So, but you don't have it routed out to an external instrument, right? It's, it's just an, an internal... Right, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Um, I always... What, what I'm doing is the fact you have to route it to... You have to make the carrier the modulator. So basically, it's not, it's not being modulated by an external source, exactly. It's just being, uh, it's just acting as a filter bank. It's just being modulated by itself, really. Oh, no, no, this is, this is turned off. Um, this is actually, what I like to do is, um, like, this is mistitled A53 band dispersion. This is originally an effect that I made, which was slightly delaying the lower frequencies, or the, the lower, the low and mid band from the high band, creating, like, frequency dispersion. That was what I originally was trying to do with the sound, and I was like, hmm. I don't really like that effect, so let me just throw a vocoder on it. Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a band splitter with just delay at the end, so I was like, I don't need the delay anymore. This is not a really organized project, just a disclaimer. I didn't really clean anything up before. Is there anything past the, the simple delay or, or past anything like that that's really affecting the sound at all? I mean, I see you have an amp and some frequency shifting. So I have I have the, uh, the saturator. So a uh, saturator with some drive, and I turn the bass down. This isn't actually really doing much. Just adding more grit to it. Um, it's adding more like low mid harmonics to it. Uh, I just wanted it to be like a really powerful sound, nothing too like glossy or like lasery sounding. I wanted it to actually be more like a growl. Uh, then I, I, what I like to do is throw an amp on it, uh, throw an amp on a lot of my sounds because it's basically what a saturator does, but in a much more colored way. And then I'll, I'll mix the wet signal in with the dry signal a little bit because if it's just straight wet, it might. Be yeah, it just sounds ridiculous. Like, just way too trebly and bassy and clippy. So, it adds that nice, like, bright fuzz to it that I like. And then I'll use a glue compressor with uh, the soft clip mode on. And what that's really doing is just, it's just a limiter at this point. Because I'm not doing any, any compression. Like, 
it's, it's not really doing anything but limiting it. This frequency shifter, I think, so for the rise of the song, I have this filtering going on, this EQ filtering, which is cutting out the lows, like the sub, and then it's also out of key because of pitch bend uh, getting stuck, but that's increasing. Then I'll use a frequency shifter to not really transpose, but kind of frequency shift the, the sound up to build more tension. So when it actually drops, it's, it sounds you know, more powerful. So the difference between uh, what, what you just heard and with the frequency shifter is... It's basically a riser within the bass. From my understanding of the of what the frequency shifter is, is you're basically kind of doing the same thing that you're doing with the formant shifting in the in the vocoder, right? Isn't that what the frequency shifter does? Yes and no. Um, a frequency shifter is is really just linearly transposing the harmonics in the sound, and what it does is it will make it, it makes something that is that is harmonic inharmonic. So it's basically pinching all of the frequencies or pinching all of the pinching or expanding the frequency spectrum towards, towards the high end, like expanding it from the high end. It creates a very dissonant effect. It's really good for transposing drums because they're not they're not tonal and it preserves the, um, the timbre of the drums. I like to use it in situations where I want to make the sound inharmonic, like during a rise or something to build more tension. Um, but what, uh, what the formant shifting of the vocoder is doing is really just changing the filter shape that I draw. It's not doing any transposition of the harmonics in the sound. It is transposing the filter shape, or it's transposing the, the filter. A question that quite a lot of people ask me that I'm sure they're wondering about your track as well. So how are you doing? So you've got loads and loads and loads of little like bass shots running through your drop section. How are you sequencing those? Is, is it all just based on your intuition or, or is there some like structure or logic used to kind of yeah, see, sequence all the little noises? Like how this is just like a bunch of randomly hocketed. Yeah. yeah so like, I mean, I, I, I can personally see a little bit of structure, but to most people, it's kind of still like, like a really daunting task to take lots of little noises and try and sequence them in a coherent way. It, it looks it looks scattered and, and complex and disorderly, but really it just comes down to I'll, I'll start with one sound and then I'll work from there. Um, so I'll, I'll create a drum beat with the kick and the snare uh, and then I'll create one sound and that will inspire like what kind of sound and how it articulates the next sound and then I'll loop that and then duplicate that and then do a little this uh, the first part of this drop going to sound a little bit different since I messed some stuff up. This is just one bar. I knew I wanted a down pitch growl and then like some kind of rhythmic sound, R rhythmic uh, like wob. Yeah, once I put the second sound down, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, I don't really know how to describe it. It's just a matter of um, anticipating as you're creating. When I'm, when I'm creating a drop, it's like when you have the beat behind it, it kind of forces your imagination to fill in the blanks. The first thing or second thing that comes to mind is usually what I'll try to create and uh, is, is the most impactful and the most musical. Yeah, then what I'll do is I'll just um, create another sound, another sound, another sound, uh, as many sounds as I need and I hear in my head. And then oftentimes I'll, I mean, there are sounds that I'm, I think yeah, there's some tracks like this one. Yeah, there's nothing even on that one. There's some tracks that I just have muted or just like use once. In this drop, it's just it's mainly just uh, a couple different growls and a couple different blaster sounds, and um, and that's it. I mean, it, it it looks disorganized just because that's kind of how my workflow uh, goes. Like, I'll just have it'll just go down from new sound to new sound to new sound without any particular order. But like, as I'm working on the session, I know exactly where everything is, and uh, it's 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 easy to keep organized when you create it from scratch. It's like I don't really need to label anything. Uh, it's just kind of like a feeling of where things are in the session, and you just grab from it. I mean. In my opinion, this is a relatively simple drop. So that's, that is like the main theme of the first part of the drop. So the down pitch growl, the wobs with a, like a little, the little growls like in between, like these little guys. Um, and then a turnaround sound, which is this something that is not, something that is like, like pitch bendy. And then the next section is a variation of the first section. Basically, all, all I did is just copy pasted that and then change the drops or change the downbeat sound to this other thing. Uh, this is actually where I use the, the vocoder formant effect the uh, most in the sound. Um, and then I'll use a variation of the, the wob sound, the blaster sound. And then the other turnaround sound, which is basically a, uh, a brother of this has the same pitch movement. Yeah, just the timbre is a little bit different. And then the next section is basically the same thing. 
And then the fourth, the fourth section is really where everything changes up. That's it's the switch up. And there needs to be that. And I, I find that this is a very common drop arrangement in. I don't want to say, but I will. Bro step. You have three sections that are pretty similar. It sets up this theme and this familiarity, and then you have your fourth section, which is the change up. And you're like, whoa! It introduces something new. It's novel. It keeps your mind fresh. And then after that happens, after you know the the eight bar phrase, it's just intuitive to go back to the thing that's familiar with some more variation. And uh, it's pretty much just like a copy paste of that with some more tweaks. And then the second section is um, basically the same process all over again, using uh, similar sounds, so it's it still sounds coherent, but um, having a different drop arrangement. So I, I changed the drums up in this section a little bit. The way I arranged it is the same way I, like the way I built it is the same way I built the first section of the drop. <laughs> The last section, uh, the A, B, C, D section of, of the, the drop is the same as the, the first part of the drop. So I like to try to find a, a good balance of repetition uh, and familiarity and also novelty and uh, complexity. It's a lot easier to, to write things after you have a palette of six sounds and like sounds that that inspire you sounds that like aren't dull uh, and that's the thing one of the things is it's it's i find it beneficial to create basically make your own sample pack or make your own patch preset pack before you go hard with uh with um composing because if your sounds don't sound good or if you don't like how your sounds sound as you're composing it's really it's a lot easier to lose inspiration and then when you are trying to make the sounds, when you're trying to do sound design while you're writing the arrangement and composition of the song, it's very easy for you to lose that, uh, that, that creative flow because I think when you're composing, you are in the most, it is like the most volatile and fragile state to be in because you can lose it, you can lose it too quickly. It's important to not listen to the same thing looping too much or it's not going to have the same effect because your brain is already familiar with it, which removes you from how someone listening to it for the first time would experience it. So uh, I agree. So Multiplier actually talked about this. So what, what you're talking about right now is like, you know, basically uh, taking a project and kind of divvying up the, uh, the the processes in different at different times. So like how you're saying you, you go and you do your sound design so that when you go into the, the compositional part, you're not really worrying about the sound design because it's already done. You're going to use what you're doing. So I guess uh, Noisia does that quite a bit. I love taking these types of things and putting it into the like real world example is let's say that you're going on a date. Okay. And actually the, the, the girl or the boy, whatever is coming over to your house and you know, the, you know, you're, you're making googly eyes, you're having a good time, whatever. And they're like, tell me how you feel. And you're like, actually, I need to go turn the oven on because I forgot to make dinner. All right. That is not the time to make dinner. Dinner was supposed to be made hours ago and you're supposed to be starting that way before that. Right. It's the same thing with sound design. You know, if you're getting into like the intimate part of composition, this is not the time to be like, I wonder what FM would do to this thing. I mean, there's a little bit more leeway with like music production, obviously, but you know, the concept is still there. If you don't have everything set well, not everything, but if you don't have the majority of, of things set in place before it's going to kill the vibe, you know what I mean? And, and it might take a while to, to bring back the, 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 intimate feelings of, of, of composition and everything. So yeah, no, I, I, I totally dig that analogy. It's totally relatable. It's, it's composite com composition. It's something you can't overthink with sound design. You can overthink as much you can like be as cerebral as you need to be because that's kind of part of like using the, using the tools. Uh, I, I find doing sound design is like, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot more, uh, logic based and composing an arrangement is you have to, it's much more of a, of a, of a felt thing. It's much more of an intuitive thing. It's much much easier to lose too. Something else I wanted to mention that I've noticed that you and I, we talked about uh, before, but it looks like here, for, according to your repetition and variation concept, you got a lot of the pervade system. You and I talked about this, but so for those who don't understand what the pervade system is, it's an acronym, it's P-R-V-D. And so what it stands for is present, repeat, vary, destroy. And so that's what it looks like if you if we go back to, let's see, the first eight bars. It's kind of a fractal of itself. So for instance, like uh, I have, this is, this is like the first part of it, which is like you have the growl and then the rhythmic sound and then like the turnaround. And and then that's basically like the basically like the, the, the theme of that. If I bring it to a two bar uh, scale, yeah, presentation, repeating it, uh, varying it, 
I feel like um, the, the repeating and varying kind of go hand in hand. Uh, and then destroying it, which is something completely different. Do it over and over. It, like, you're right. It, it is a fractal because now that you like, you know, you're on a two bar stanza, it's like that. Then you kind of come out a little bit. Now we're looking at, you know, like eight bars and then the eight bars are kind of like that as well. You know, every eight bars. You... Same thing, but buried. And then uh, and then there's a totally different turnaround here, which is the melodic turnaround. Which is the destruction of this entire section, essentially. And then it, it goes into the same thing, but totally different. Which is then, I mean, more or less the same thing on an even larger scale with the second drop having, introducing a totally different kind of, uh, like, different phrasing and, and, and whatnot. But it's, yeah, at every scale, that philosophy applies. Yeah, so one thing I'm curious about is the, uh, how you've done the sidechain impression. Because oh, yeah. uh, there are a few bits in the track that I was trying to work out whether or not, so yeah, I suppose, yeah, the, almost like the dynamic of the bass sounded like you've done the, the former sidechain compression where you, you kind of do it even though the drums aren't there. See, mm -hmm. I was, I was try, trying to work out whether that was sidechain compression or whether you were programming in those dynamics manually. Or... So how I'm doing it is, um, how I like to sidechain, how I like to route sidechaining, first of all, is uh, by um, sending all of, or sending my synths and bass groups to a return track and then setting their outputs to sends only and then turning up the send level. So basically everything is going through this return track here. Um, without it, it's just without it, it's just drums. And this makes it really easy to just put one uh, essentially gain reducer, whether it be a compressor or a gate or like volume shaper, et cetera, on it, and then have everything duck simultaneously just from one plugin. I mean, I'm, I'm, there are advantages to having separate side chains for different groups and different instruments. For a song like this, I feel like having it just be one, having it going through just one, one, uh, one bus essentially is going to, uh, it just gives it a, a consistent heavy sound. Since the drums are not really dynamic, dynamic at all, they're just like kick, snare on full blast. Uh, so anyway, how I'm, how I'm doing this is I'm actually using a, um, a gate and I'm using a sidechain trigger track, which is muted. Uh, although the, the sidechain input from the gate is still picking up the, uh, the muted track. So this is just the drum track. As you can see, this, it's just the drum track and uh, that I have uh, above it. I like to use the, uh, what's it called, the drum rack and use MIDI for drums. Just it just makes more sense to me in my workflow. Uh, and then what I do is I will create. I created a um, a very simple impulse track, which is just creating a, a click from operator, making sure that the uh, the velocity is consistent and that the uh, the pitch is consistent using scale. Alternatively, I could use the fixed button. So it's creating these clicks, these very short clicks. And what I'm then doing is using the I'm using a gate with the sidechain input being the the click track. And you can see in this visual down here, I wish I could zoom this in bigger, but the click is great because it is not, it's, it's not biased between whether it's a kick drum or a snare drum. Um, and so it's going to duck and it's going to create the same shape uh, for, both, for both drums. The reason I, I like to use a gate instead of a compressor, at least for this song, is because the, 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 the gain reduction curves that it creates is, you ha it's, almost, it's almost like an envelope. You have your attack, you have your hold, and you have your release, and you also have a look ahead too. So you can really fine tune how much, and it's also a much more extreme effect than what a sidechain compressor could do. Uh, I'm having the floor be completely negative infinity. So when the drums hit, it's com everything is completely silent for 38 milliseconds, and then it it uh, in a, I guess in a linear fashion, the gain reduction then just goes back to zero over the course of 36 milliseconds. And this is just stuff that I that I tweak to uh, like as I'm listening to it. So for instance, like if I if I play this and have the hold really high. I don't know, you, you just have to, I just have a lot of I just have the control that I was looking for using a gate instead of a compressor. It's it may sound less natural, but that's that's what I was that's what I was going for. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I, I think that was the thing I was I was I was, I was hearing. That's uh, because normally with the sidechain compressor, it, it doesn't always it, it does doesn't always completely shut off the sound. But with this, it gives it a whole different sort of dynamic compared to what most people do. Right, right, totally. Yeah, um, virtual like. Listening to Virtual Riot's music, I uh, like a couple years ago, I, I 
I was so fascinated with like how he, how his drums uh, just cut out everything so abruptly and then quickly uh, everything is brought back in. Uh, it was just like basically a 16th note gate and I was thinking, I was using Logic at the time that I heard that and what I would do is create a Satchin compressor with, you know, very short release time and then just use like three or four compressors stacked on top of each other to uh, achieve that effect. But with, with Ableton, it had the gate and I was, it was last year when I realized like I could just use a gate because I didn't realize time that it had this little side chain tab because I, I don't know I never used the gate before and I, I didn't use the gate often and I saw this little triangle compressor had and I was like I do the same exact thing this is great uh, and it, yeah it works just like a compressor the trick is um, you have to hit you have to hit the flip button because otherwise audio will only come through when there is a side chain signal when you hit flip it does the opposite audio will come through until there's a side chain signal dude your crap punches so hard it is ridiculous why does your stuff punch so hard? I'm assuming that part of it is because of the skate trick, what you showed us right here, but there's got to be something else because your stuff freaking slams, dude. Thanks. I uh, I feel like it's there's not really one specific thing that I'm doing that, that makes it punch hard. Actually, now that you mentioned the gate, I'm really curious to hear how this sounds without any sidechain side gating or compression. So, uh, yeah, pardon this. <laughs> Okay, it, I mean, it, it, it definitely, this definitely does contribute, that's for sure. Having having proper gain reduction for side chaining contributes to that. But it's a hard it's a hard question to answer because it's, it's also a very subjective question. Because to me, it just, like, this is just what is normal. This is, this is just the sound that I'm, that I'm striving for. I don't really think of it as, like, I mean, I want it to slam, but, like, I don't know. I think, I think what may contribute to the, the slamming is... Um, everything kind of having its own place nothing is every everything is it's like a wall of sound i guess that's kind of what i like to achieve i like to achieve a wall of sound a wall of frequencies but have everything have its own place like fit in like like pieces in a puzzle whenever i'm layering something there always has to be like if i am to layer something like layering two bass sounds uh, i will use eq masking which is basically cutting where i'm boosting in another cu cutting one cutting one range in one sound where i'm boosting same range in another sound and just creating space for other things to uh to, to fit in together when they're when they're being layered in this case there is nothing like all of these bases kind of have their own place like they're just kind of like blocks that are of just one sound followed by a block of the next sound followed by a block of the next sound. And there isn't really anything overlapping. There isn't really any space either, if, if that makes sense. So what I'm assuming so from what you're telling me is basically you, you give everything its own space. And the way that you do that is... Uh, I'm assuming one of two ways. One of it is compositionally. So we're looking at the, your, your, uh, your arrangement view right now. And I can only see one thing or i can only see one instance where two things are overlapping and that's with gritty and 37 instrument right and that's probably just adding a tonal thing to it 37 is um, actually <laughs> 37 is actually muted because it's uh the original sound that i used to resample into the grindy track okay so, yeah, if i yeah this is effectively muted so okay so then the concept is still there that like just looking at this compositionally there is nothing overlapping just from a quick look at it everything has its own place and so i feel like compositionally you can make it have its own place and then secondly is through from my understanding is through eq so you can go in and basically chop out everything that doesn't need to be there or let's say that you know you have these two sounds and they're kind of happening at the same time like let's say you know the the uh, what's called an impact and, and a bass growl right you can go in and you can kind of like cut the stuff that you want from the bass growl to cut through and on the same frequencies on that on that impact you cut out so so like the bass growl can kind of cut through and and basically vice versa creating effectively a au5 bass jigsaw puzzle not just bass jigsaw puzzle, but comp compositional you know jigsaw puzzle mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's that's a that's a very uh, that's a very good good way to describe it because i mean that's basically what's going on yeah those are the two main things, and I, th I think as far as the um, the EQ and frequency masking thing uh, goes, I think a, a prime fundamental example is high passing your like the high passing your bases and then putting a, a sub in the same key underneath them. I think that's the prime example because if you don't high pass them and if you put a sub under them, you're going to get 
phase cancellation where there is those, uh, it's just going to get muddy. You're going to get phase cancellation where there are those frequencies that are playing simultaneously, but out of phase or sometimes in phase, and it'll just sound inconsistent. So yeah, on a, on a compositional level and also on a, on a spectral level, but also a, um, a dynamics level, uh, everything is tightly fitting together without any, without any real overlap or uh, interference in regards to your kick is there any or not your kicks are your drums is there anything specific besides side chaining that you do to make them so punchy yes okay. uh there's, there's quite a few things let me, let me see there isn't really much in this drum rack that 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 i can demonstrate that uh, that that demonstrates like how i do this because um what i'd like to do is i will ha i'll do like a drum design session and then do all my drum design and then render those to audio render the samples to audio and then just throw them in the drum rack because it's just saves on cpu it makes things much but um the, the the things that I do is like for kicks, for instance, I like to use, I like to synthesize my kicks these days. I like to use uh, Kick2, uh, the Kick2 plugin. It's it's insane. It's it's uh, basically just a sine wave envelope shaper that also allows you to layer clicks and other types of noise on, on top of them. And uh, it, has, it has a big display that you can really fine tune everything. When, when I put the, when I put my rendered samples into a, a drum rack, a lot of times what I'll do, and for the first, I guess like first half of my EDM career, I, I never really used to do this until recently, until I guess I switched to Ableton and it was really easy to do this, is uh, I will turn on, I will, I'll use the filter, but I won't, I won't actually filter, I won't be filtering anything out. Uh, I will switch it to a different mode than clean. And what that will do is bring up this drive knob and it's a soft saturator. So here's what it sounds like without any drive. This kick sounds like without any drive. As I start to introduce the drive, it starts to bring in those low mid harmonics. And that is, uh, it sounds bad soloed, which is why I don't think I ever had the inclination to use that before since I would always design my drums in session. Mm -hmm. But now I realize like you can introduce drive and soft clipping to your drums when, uh, and, and it's, it oftentimes sounds good and musical when it's in the context of the instrumentation, um, bringing that, bring, bringing that punch in. And it works especially well for if you're, if you're listening to the song on, sound system that doesn't have a really good low-end response or a subwoofer those low-end harmonics will give the impression of the the full punch this is exactly what i was trying to get at it was was this right here because so amity uh he's been on the show before he showed me a trick one time he's like do this to your drums it'll make them extremely punchy and so what he does is he grabs a saturator and puts it on the medium curve preset which is essentially kind of exactly what you're doing right now because it's it's basically soft clipping it's acting more or less as, as a very gentle limiter which i guess technically is a compressor but um but basically you're adding drive to it which increases the punch and adds some higher harmonics right is that what you're saying yes yes so when back in the day when i used to use logic i would use to to design my drums and to get like a nice snappy punchy sound what i would do is i would use a lot of amplitude enveloping and one way to do that is to use a compressor with like uh the attack actually i'm just going to demonstrate this it's going to be easier to demonstrate than explaining it i'm just going to pull up a i'm just going to pull up a uh, an acoustic kick this doesn't really have that crazy snap of a transient so let's see if, yeah okay it's not going to jump all right, so we have this kick sample. Here's an example of something that I would do to make this kick sound better. Let me throw this into the drum rack, bring it up. Um, so I like, uh, I mean, it's it's a mediocre sounding kick. Uh, one of the things that I, I like to do to make it a little bit punchier if it doesn't have a, a nice snap is I'll do pitch enveloping. It makes it sound tighter. It also changes the, uh, because it's it's transposing it, over the course of a very short amount of time. It, you can just get some really interesting effects and shape drums very pretty drastically with just simple pitch envelopes. So I'll have the attack very low, which is the lowest setting, the lowest value you can go without it being zero. And I'll have the decay around, I don't know, very short as well. And as I increase the amount, you can hear, you can hear what it's doing. Really treating that like, like yeah. punch, snap, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so it's kind of like a transient designer. So at this point, um, I'll, I'll turn the filter on and I'll do the OS, I'll switch it to OSR or anything that brings up the drive. Bring the drive up. And let's say I, I don't like all that noise in the background. What I'll do is I'll 
go to the filter envelope, I'll turn the filter envelope on, and I'll bring the frequency down to where I don't hear that noise anymore. It's around 300 hertz. And then what I'll do is I'll bring up the filter envelope, the amount. And now I, a little bit of tweaking, I effectively uh, preserve the transient, but um, filtered out all that other uh, noise. And at this point, I mean, so I'm kind of clipping. Um, what I'll do is use a saturator and then turn on the soft clip. It's effectively a limiter, and I have to turn the whole thing down. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's just one of the ways to uh, create a, a punchy drum from a uh, from a mediocre sample. Yeah, so I suppose it's kind of going off on a slight tangent, but something I'm curious about. So what motivated the switch to Ableton? Because I mean, I'm, I mean I, I've personally been using Ableton for ages, and I'm, I'm a huge fan, but... Uh... Yeah, how come that happened? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I was I've been using Logic. Or I was using Logic for about nine years since I was I got Logic when I was thirteen, and then decided to switch over uh, almost three years ago now. And the reason why is because I had friends such as such as Fractal that were using Ableton, and I just saw how fast he was able to do all of this stuff. And I was like, damn, this is that's some serious workflow. And what really made me want to switch were two things I did not like about Logic. When my projects got really big, what ended up happening was I couldn't automate things the way I wanted to. Automation Automations would get stuck. For instance, like if I had a, an automation curve like this, if I, if I, had the, if I started the playhead, if, if I had this playing through and then I stopped the playhead here and then decided I wanted to play from the beginning again, <laughs> that parameter value would still be where at, at where the automation was before so what i'd have to do is i'd have to actually like scrub the playhead back over to the beginning for it to register that it wasn't actually on that oh. value anymore <laughs> so that was super annoying uh and for a lot of plugins and third-party plugins um the automations were steppy like i could actually hear like it was like 64th note stepping it wasn't smooth at all and i was like this does not sound good um and then the other thing over the years just really bothering me was i there was no plug search or no browser search essentially like now if I want to plug in I can hit command F and then just type in the first three letters of anything that I want any plugin any sample anything that I want and then just hit enter and bam it's right there same goes for um, if I want to bring up an automation if I want to automate a parameter I can just right-click it and hit show automation with logic I had to go through drop-down lists and then other lists and lists and there are so many times where I was in the middle of flow and I would be like, okay, I need this. And so I'm looking for it. And then I totally forget what I'm looking for. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's unfortunate. And then I lost the flow. So I was, um, I, I tried, I dabbled with Ableton a little bit before I decided to make the big switch over. So I kind of understood how it was laid out and everything. But the, the big thing that allowed me to, to switch was I, uh, I switched studios. So I, I was, I, yeah, I, I switched studio places and I renovated this space right here and decided to make like an actual studio. I guess when the studio was done, I told myself, I am going to, I kind of just make a full song with Ableton and not use Logic until I'm done that song, uh, however long it would take. And I, I feel like the transition of studios spaces kind of helped me, I don't know, it just kind of helped me transition uh, with, with DAWs. The first song that I that I finished and, and, and created with Ableton was actually Atlantis and it took me three days and I was really surprised how inspiring and conducive to creativity it was. And I was like, I never, I never looked back. I, I don't, I don't like using logic anymore. I don't even really know how to uh, very well anymore. And I am more than happy I, I made that switch. You have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone in order to grow, just in general. So it was at that point I was willing to do that. Do you use the Ableton Push or, or any other hardware with the video productions? I don't. I've, I've never actually, I've never even tried the Push. I'm really curious about it because uh, quite a few of my producer friends told me how uh, how it has helped them with uh, with their workflow and it's con how it's conducive to creativity. So it's definitely something I want to try, but all I really use for hardware is um, a, a MIDI keyboard or like even like the nano key or just the computer keyboard. I don't really have anything. Very, very basic studio setup. It's just MacBook, monitors, interface, MIDI keyboard, and that's it. If you can get the push, get the freaking push. Like it is, it is incredible, dude. But let's say for right now, an easy fix. And I've told a couple people this and it's absolutely incredible, especially if you're on the road a lot and you don't really want to bring the push with. I saw on your Facebook the other night, you got 
what what did you get on your ipad it was pretty cool it was oh so yeah i I got an ipad mini and it was kind of a troll video the the video made it look like i was running adobe after effects natively on the ipad okay Uh, but what i was doing i was using team viewer and remote accessing my computer in colorado which was after effects but it was running smoothly so that is in itself really cool okay i see what you're saying okay there's this app called touchable it turns your ipad into a push it's incredible dude like it's insane and so i i've used it quite frequently when i'm on the road i'll i'll pull that up and it it works perfectly you can pull up a drum pad you can pull up the 64 uh isomorphic pad are you familiar with touch osc yeah yeah so it's, it's similar to that right exactly it's, it's extremely similar to that sweet because that's that was my main incentive actually for getting the ipad mini was to use uh touch osc or i'm trying out lemur but it's, it's a little weird but uh I, I i want something a little bit different from for from touch osc uh maybe a little bit more in depth i don't but touchable touchable is what you want man because you can you can do anything you want it's super cool so you can actually like pull up an xy pad on your iPad and have a little ball that you can like move around or whatever you can touch move around but you can throw it and it will just go in all random directions and so let's let's say you map that to like a wavetable position and you just throw it it's like super cool man so you just record that in and oh dude it's yeah this is literally the the middle ground between these two apps that I have that I that I've been looking for like this I feel like this is what I'm looking for so I'm totally gonna check this out thank you (laughs) yeah dude I think it's like 12 bucks or 15 bucks but it is dude it's it's freaking amazing so you can connect it two different ways you can go through like obviously like a a usb or you can create or you can go through wi-fi or you can create an ad hoc network so you can basically connect it anywhere anytime so it it has usb connectivity as well absolutely live sets are going to change yeah dude so like when you're on the airplane and you just like man i need you plug that in and now you do you have everything you need right there man it's oh yeah and live sets crywolf you know crywolf i noticed when i went to his show so in order for him because he does everything off ableton live as he performs so he had to have someone come out on stage with a flashlight and press launch on his scene to to get everything rolling i was like man that sucks and so i messaged him and was like touchable and he's like oh my gosh like this is insane i'm like yeah because you can be in the backstage and be like and now it's time to start and start and everything can just start and live sets this can be insane for you man i'm stoked thank you for, for recommending this. was there anything you did in this track that uh i suppose is technically like breaking the rules or unconventional but kind of worked in the context of this from in, in my opinion i feel like the song is actually really generic there's not really anything that was like that i did that was kind of unorthodox i'd, I'd say mastering mastering is just like super basic some eq some multi-band compression and some harmonic exciting with ozone and then uh the pro l I noticed something, if I can bring something up really quick. So something that I'm noticing that you're, you're doing that isn't completely common, especially in, in a bass producer's project file, is literally everything, not literally everything, but I see a lot of things still in MIDI. I'm not seeing a lot of things in audio, and you're even mastering in the same session. To me, that's strange. That's not common because most of the time people are like, okay, let's convert this to audio, stem this out. After I mix it, I'm going to bounce that out and pull it into a mastering session. So why do you do that, Austin Collins? I think the reason I did this in this session is because my CPU never stunted the growth of the song. I think, and the re- I think the reason why is because there isn't anything that I'm doing that is overly complex. All of the sounds are pretty much straightforward and all of the processing that I'm doing on the sounds is just able to is just with Ableton plugins. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Like, it's just Serum and then stock Ableton plugins. And it's not really, uh, didn't slow down my CPU at all, I don't think. And I just never had, I never really had the incentive to, to uh, convert anything to audio. But there is one thing, well, this, this grindy track. I guess this is the most unconventional thing that I've done in the song. Creating this sound is actually, I took a, a bass from another song of mine, um, which is not something that is released yet. Let's see, it originally sounded like this. It's basically just this sound. I took that sound and then I, I warped it. Uh, I stretched it out and I used the texture warp mode to stretch it out. But I, I, I adjusted the grain size to tune it to the frequency of the actual bass so it effectively sounded like this. So it sounded stretched out. Actually, I have some other stuff going on over here. I have a bunch of stuff going on over here. So yeah, so I took that sample and I stretched it out and it just sounded like this. And then the next thing I did was put an auto pan on it to give it some amplitude LFO. 
and oh, then that's how you did that. Okay, so I was wondering. Sorry, keep going. And then I EQ'd it, so I cut out the, the the sub and this low mid range, and then saturator, and then the ozone. The saturator and the the ozone uh, compression is outside of the uh, outside of this chain. Uh, so I created the chain after I filtered out the low end, and then I reintroduced a sub using operator. So that's what it sounds like uh, combined. And then the saturator after the chain allows me to saturate both the sub of the operator and the, uh, the top base uh, together. You know, it just glues it together a little bit more. Oh, that, really that, right that saturator with the medium curve, that's what I'm talking about that makes uh, drums or whatever punchy. It doesn't really sound that much different, but if you look at the level, it keeps the levels a little bit steadier and prevents it from clipping. Gotcha. If, I soft, if I use the soft clip, it'll actually just flat out not go over zero, which is probably what I should have had on in the first place. But anyway, uh, and then after that I used, let's see, this was, oh, this is actually Ozone's Exciter. Do even more saturation, but multi-band. So that's what it sounded like then. Then I rendered it out as audio. And because I like the sound of it, but what I wanted to do was, I wanted it to sound more digital and less like evolving. Because this sound, it's not just like one static sound that is os that is oscillating. What I ended up doing was rendering that sound audio and then, oh yeah, let me take these uh, effects off. I rendered it out as audio and then I took the last 16th note and duplicated it so it gave it more of like a, that mach machine gun effect. Like that. Oh yeah, and then I reintroduced the auto pan to give it more of a pronounced LFO, amplitude LFO. So that versus this. I just thought this sounded way more hard. Threw a saturator and dimension expander on it, and that became that became the sound. So that was, I guess that is the most uh, unconventional thing that I that I did in this song. Everything else is, is still MIDI and pretty straightforward. My final question for you is: If you could go back in time and you were sitting with yourself as you started this Skrillexy thing project, and you could kind of give yourself some pointers or some things to look out for or some advice what would you say to yourself to make making this just go much smoother and easier? This is one of the songs that it came together very quickly. I had fun with it the whole time. I feel like this song is actually like the epitome of a, a good session where I'm not overthinking anything. Any other song, I feel like my answer to that would be more along the lines of stop overthinking things and stop looping things, stop getting caught up in what other people are going to think of it. The whole point of the song was kind of like, just make a banger. This was just purely for fun. I really didn't even expect to, it to turn into like a, a releasable song. I, I, I think this song is still too new to give an answer to that i don't think i would do anything different do you want our feedback on your song that would be awesome yeah i'd love to yeah any any kind of feedback i, I can't really think of any feedback about the song in particular but just one thing that sprung to mind i, I just thought about so you know how you were creating those uh wave tables in serum i can't remember the details but i think in the manual it tells you the best note to choose so that it converts to a wavetable in, in the most efficient way if, you, if you're curious it might be worth digging through the manual uh, i must not i can't remember the the, the, the best note to use but yeah, I, I think steve Duda did the maths and worked out there's like a depending on, on how you do your notes it's like there's like the most efficient note to use but then there's also a slightly easier note to use that also converts well so yeah it's, it's worth when you get like five ten minutes free one day just kind of dig right to the very end of the serum manual um, i mean the man the manual's a little bit out of date but all the maths is still correct never know it, it, it might, might, might give you that tiny amount more fidelity not that i suspect you've been running into too many problems but yeah it's worth, worth checking out yeah that's, that's interesting you say that because actually i i vaguely remember uh, a while ago reading about like how to use the the wavetable editor and formula parser you can only you could have a maximum of um two five six so cycle yeah a maximum amount of samples that you can use per per frame um and i thank you for reminding me and i'm, I'm sure like the the easier way would be like the nearest note to that one that yeah. that doesn't go over i'm going to figure that out and and, and use that because yes importing wavetables with the highest fidelity is something i want to strive to do from my feedback so i have a couple of things i wanted to, to talk to you about number one is i love that this song didn't have vocals but i i can't help but wonder 
what this song would have been like, even if it had minimalistic vocals. Was there a reason why you didn't have vocals in here? I think there was just so much stuff going on. It was just so full already that I think adding anything to it would take away from it. Because the the main, I feel like the the melodic motif of the song, which is the dun 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 dun, dun that part, kind of held its own weight. I mean, I always have the tendency to like layer more melodic stuff uh, and whatnot, but I wanted to keep it simple. And I think uh, keeping it simple made it so I, I just filled everything up uh, as much as it could be without it being too much. No, okay, that totally makes sense. So in the future, so maybe not in this instance, because there was just, you know, maybe there was just too many chefs in the kitchen. But in the future, let's say, because I, I personally, I love vocals, especially female vocals when it comes to bass music like it i don't know there's just something about that that resonates with my soul let's say that you know you're you're hanging out in your in your denver colorado apartment and you're like ah, i don't really want to call anyone or you don't know anyone or you're just like ah, what do i do have you ever heard of vocalese from heaviosity yes i have it actually okay is it not like one of the best things ever created <laughs> to be honest I only got it just for a couple of the the pad presets. I haven't really delved into oh, dude. what it has and what it could do. Dude. But now, I haven't used it in a long time, so it's like, now that you're telling me that this is like, I, I need to check this out. Let, let me let me put an image in your head. Let's say that you're, you you go hiking in like the, the beautiful snowy mountains of Russia and you get in this, you know, in this, in this crazy snowstorm. You're like, oh man, I'm going to die. And then like this lady just pulls you out of the snowstorm. She like brings you back to health and she has the most beautiful voice you've ever heard. Now imagine if someone recorded that and you can call it back whenever you want. That's what you have on your computer right now. That is the ultimate instrument. And by the way, they actually just came out with Vocalese 2. So if you ever want it, <laughs> go check it out. Do you know if it's uh, if it's separate from the first one or is it like an up is it an upgradable thing? I think it's separate from the first one if I'm pretty sure. Uh, you, you might have to check me on that. I hope it's an upgrade, dude. If it's an upgrade. Yeah, that would be great. So that's that's my first thing I want to talk about is, you know, if you ever if you ever need some female vocals that's just like gorgeous and that you already have Vocalese is insane number two that i want to talk about is what you showed me and then i expanded on it on when we when we hung out one time so you showed me how you did your sidechain bus and this really really intrigued me and so um but when you showed me you were using volume shaper okay is that what you primarily use now that's what i use nowadays yeah okay so what i did was i took your idea with volume shaper and your three brand your three band crossover that you gave me and i combined them so what i have now is a return channel for a full sidechain, which is all the frequencies, a sidechain uh, side channel that does lows and mids, and then one that just does lows. I set all of them up the same way through MIDI, kind of like what you're doing now, so that I can audition things on the fly whether I want them to be fully sidechained or I only want like the mids and the lows cut out or just the lows cut out. Oh, oh, I see, I see. And so, so that way, you know, so I go and I put in all the MIDI so the MIDI doesn't change. So like, let's say, you know, on this instance, you know, you have your base channels, you have it set to uh, sends only, but instead of having just the one return channel, I have three. And so I can go in and be like, do I want it all fully sidechained? And I turn it all the way up. Okay, there's that. And then I go to the other one. It's like, do I just want the mids and lows? And I turn it all the way up and I can see what I want. You know what I mean? And I can do individual channels too so like for example most of the time with my basses it's a full one most of the time with my vocals it's just the lows most of the time with my mids it's the mids and lows does, it, does that make sense it's like yeah, it totally does oh and you can well i guess you can automate those too if you want to have them like at different sections instead of just the entire instead of just one return channel throughout the entire song exactly. that's a really sweet idea i never thought of do i never thought of doing that before i don't know why yeah that's such a cool idea and i would love to try that especially incorporating that in an auto load like I yeah. can just open up a new session and it's already there. That sounds cool. Other than that, dude, that's 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 all I got, man. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, my, my pleasure, guys. Hey, Daw Nation. Hope you enjoyed episode 10.5 of Behind the Daw with AU5, breaking down his song, Arise. If you are interested in the Patreon or giving suggestions for artists to come on the show or in private lessons, make sure to click that link down in the description. And again, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow either on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Deezer, Google Play, you know, wherever you're listening to it. It just helps us know that what we're doing is legitimate. And then finally, I want to recommend at least two episodes, maybe three. We'll see how far we go. But I want to recommend the episode before this. So that was episode 10 of Behind the Daw. If you haven't listened to that we did it with au5 really get into his mind emotionally philosophically i'd highly encourage you to check that out and then also we did another episode of in the dot with au5 it's about 
10 episodes ahead of this. I, I, I honestly don't know at this point. I'm going through, I'm organizing everything. It'll be a 0.5 episode. It is with AU5. It's him breaking down his song, Goo Lagoon. So if you like this episode, if you learned a lot, go ahead and check out that next episode as well. We also talk about a lot of amazing things inside of there. So, and then the third episode I want you to check out is the episode right after this. Now, what is the episode right after this? This is a very special episode. We were able to get Lindsey Sterling's producer, Marco G. That's right, Lindsey Sterling, one of the biggest electronic musicians in the entire world. We got her producer and talk about when he helped produce her song, Crystallize. I mean, the thing has like 53 million views on YouTube. Like, it's ridiculous. So come through, check that out. It's the episode right after this, episode 11 of Behind the Daw. And with all that out of the way, Daw Nation, I want you to have a fantastic day. I hope you're doing well. I hope things are going well on your music producer journey. Reach out to me. I'd love to help you in any way that I can. Wyatt at BehindTheDaw.net. And with all that being said, Daw Nation, thank you so much. We'll talk soon.